0: How many of y'all would be honest enough to say that in your life personally, you need a miracle? I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Just raise your hand. All right, number two. How many of y'all would say that you're believing God for a miracle, not in your life, but in the life of someone you love? Come on, raise your hand. I want to talk to you today about how we can see miracles on earth. Maybe you need a miracle in your home, in your family, in your marriage, in the lives of your children, in your business. And there is a way that we can actually see the miraculous takes place. I, I want to talk to you about the power of the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement. The Bible says in Matthew chapter. Eighteen. Listen to our Lord's words. Here's what he said. If two of you, everybody say two. If two of you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, that's pretty big. Like that's a big category. Well, how big is it? It's like anything. If two of you on earth agree concerning anything that they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father. Heaven. Now, when you think of that proposition, when you think of the reality of that taking place, the reality of two people coming together on earth and agreeing according to God's will and a supernatural power being released, that's big. The question is, how do we as believers experience that? If you've not been here the last five weeks, we've been teaching on prayer. Has this series been helpful for anybody? I trust it has been. And I've been looking at, I drew up a graph week one, and here it is. We've talked about three dimensions of prayer, and all prayer in the Bible fits within these three macro categories. Number one, everyone say upward prayer. Upward prayer is communion with God. This is how we begin our prayer. I want to encourage you in your daily time with God. That you don't begin praying for other people. You don't begin by praying even for your own prayer requests. Number one is you begin by communing with God. You go up, our Father who art in heaven. Number two, we talked about not just upward prayer, but what's called inward prayer. This is the prayer of consecration. This is the prayer where we pray each day, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. It's where we come before the Lord and we consecrate ourselves before God. Today, I don't want to talk about communion with God or consecration before God. I want to talk about partnership with God in confronting mountains. Maybe you've got a mountain in your life. Maybe there's an obstacle or a challenge or something. It's almost like that bony finger. You're going down a path and there's this mountain and the enemy's just standing there saying, you won't make it, you can't, you won't, you aren't. And you're thinking to yourself, my gosh, this thing is so insurmountable maybe it's a mountain in the life of someone you love somebody you're believing for there's a sickness there's a there's some challenge there's some issue in a relationship and it seems so big and 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 it stares at you it talks to you you know mountains talk to you God tells us to talk to mountains and yet mountains talk to us all the time how can we see those mountains removed we've all been there at some point Maybe you're there right now, you feel like your life is coming apart, you feel like there's tension, you feel trapped, maybe a negative thinking, negative behavior, maybe it's an addiction, a challenge. The question is, how how do we see deliverance in our lives? How do we see deliverance in the lives of those that we love? I've been there, we've all been there. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 12. The New Testament begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Acts. The Acts are really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the lives of the early church. And it's a very powerful, it's a historical book really recording the first 30 years of church history. And there's a powerful story, Acts chapter 12. Let me give you a little backdrop. The apostle Peter needed a bona fide miracle from God. Here's the backstory: There is a Wicked king is actually, his name's Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, who was alive during the time of Jesus. And Herod Agrippa hated the church of Jesus Christ. The church was exploding, it was growing, it was multiplying, and Herod Agrippa actually martyred one of the three inner circle of Jesus. Remember Peter, James, and John? James, the apostle. He murdered him. Herod Agrippa, he murdered. Actually, James was the second martyr of the church. Stephen was the first, and James was the second. I'll never forget the day my mom told me, I named you Stephen James. I said, that's the first and the second martyr of the church. (laughs) I hope it's not prophetic. But anyway, so James is murdered by Herod Agrippa, and now... Herod saw that, he thought, you know what, I'm going to do the same to Peter. They threw Peter in prison, but the difference was the church was beginning to wake up. Acts chapter 12, let's read the story starting with verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring them out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord. We're going to talk about angels today in our message. It's going to be part of our message. Now behold, the angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side that raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. This angel's talking to him. And the chains that were on Peter fell off of his hands. And the angel said, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. And so he went out and followed him and, and did not know that this was done by the angel. And the angel was real, but thought he was seeing in a vision. In other words, he thought he was in a vision, but it was like really happening to him. He was having an encounter with an angel. This is so powerful. And when they were past the first and then the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And, and they went out and they went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. Acts 12 starts with a tragedy, the death of James, but it ends really well. It continues in verse 1 and 2, not only talking about James, but then by verse 5, all of a sudden there's a shift. Verse 1 and verse 2, James is martyred and killed by Herod. Notice what wasn't happening. What was happening was James was being killed. What wasn't happening is the church wasn't praying. Verse 5, the Bible says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for Peter by the church. The church didn't pray, and James was killed. The church did pray, and Peter was released from prison. Do y'all see a connection? The church didn't pray. And James was killed. The church did pray, and an angel of the Lord came. The supernatural was released, and Peter was delivered from prison. Is there a connection? I would want to say resoundingly, yes. How many challenges are in our lives, and we feel under it? Or how many challenges are in the lives of those that we love, and, and, and God is waiting for somebody to call out to him? Constant prayer was offered to God by the church by the church maybe that child that's struggling maybe that relationship that's struggling maybe maybe it's it's that situation is waiting for the church waiting for two or more to come together and agree to God in faith pray the prayer of faith so that God can do on the earth what he really wants to do the church didn't pray and James was killed. The church did pray and Peter was released. How many are grateful that Jesus still opens chains and breaks chains? Oh, pastor, this is a big, 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 big proposition because I feel a sense of responsibility. Good. The devil has a mission statement. There's, It's real big in business. Those of you that are in business run organizations, part of an organization, actually for-profit, non-profit. What is the vision statement? What is the mission statement? Peter Drucker, the big famous guy who wrote a lot on management theory and leadership, talked about the vision statement ought to fit on the t-shirt. Somebody ought to wear it around. By the way, we have reaching people, building lives. What is Church of the King about? Reaching people for Christ and seeing them discipled in the name of Jesus. What is the mission statement of the devil? Here it is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and what? Say it. Destroy. Listen, it's real simple. And I know this may be new for some people. We have so many new people in Christianity, so many new people coming to our church. The devil's real. This isn't a game, and he hates your guts. That was like deep theology right there. If you get that one, that's like really good. Because you understand there's somebody for you. His name is Jesus. There's somebody against you. He's the devil. Don't switch the price tags. God's for you. Everybody say, God's for me. Everybody say, the devil's against me well, what does the devil want to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. Kill your life, destroy your dreams. That's what he wants to do. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.26, the enemy binds people up. He puts people, they not just a literal fit, prison, but also figuratively speaking, it's both. He, he will put you in chains literally, but he'll also put you in chains through addiction. He'll put you in chains through hopelessness. In other words, he, he binds people up. That's what the devil does. Jesus sets people free. The devil binds people up. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 26. Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy says that they, he says, pray that they may come to their senses. There's some people in your life, some friends that you know that need to come to their senses. Just like the prodigal son, come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. Did you know the devil puts out traps in people's pathway? There's actual, literal traps—the trap of the devil. I, I remember as a young boy, my mom had a trap from my grandmother. My grandmother, a Cajun woman, grew up in Cut Off. She literally trapped muskrats before school in the 20s and 30s and there was a trap on our wall as a kids we had a trap my whole wall my mom had a whole wall we looked like we lived in cracker barrel and so we literally it's like i'm is this all necessary i mean what about pictures there's traps and there's things and so it's but that's another message anyway so i i remember my brother and i we would take a stick and we would pop the trap like like we would literally set a trap, like it's a trap, and we would take a stick, and it was like, boom, boom, it would just snap that thing in half. Same concept right here. The enemy wants to trap you, trap you in destructive behaviors, trap you in hopelessness, trap you. Why? To impede your progress. The, the, the Bible says it. It says, he told Timothy, "Pray that they may come to their senses, escape from the trap of the devil, who has been they have been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. Do you know God has a will and the devil has a will for your life? I want you to think about think about the implications of this. God has a plan for your life and the enemy has a plan for your life. Matter of fact, I think at the crib of every baby, God has a plan for that baby and the enemy has a plan. What is the plan of the enemy? To kill, steal, and destroy." That's why it's important for us to pray. If two or more gather together and pray, everyone say pray. That's why there's power in prayer. When the church didn't pray, James was killed. When the church did pray, Peter was loosed. We look in Scripture, Satan binds people up. There's a woman in Luke 13 who was literally physically bound by the enemy, bound over by the enemy. Maybe you've been there before. I, I know I have. Before I came to Christ, I was bound in fear, bound in lust and pride, bound. But Christ set me free. The enemy binds, Jesus looses. He looses us from the pains of the enemy. One of the greatest ways to see the power of God released in the earth is through the power of agreement and prayer. If two or more, if two or more If two or more come, by the way, that's why the enemy fights couples praying together. If a husband and a wife can pray together, I'm telling you, listen, even when your heads don't agree, your hearts can stay connected. Everybody say two or more. When the church didn't pray, James was killed. When the church did pray, Peter was released. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you. I want to answer a couple questions. I'm going to get into some a little bit of a deeper theology here and some Bible stuff. that's very informative for those of you that have ever heard this. Hopefully it's a reinforcement, those that have. I want to talk to you about the prayer of agreement, but I want to look at three different questions because I think it's important as I build... I want to build in a linear fashion and build a framework for you to understand biblically how it is that we can pray in faith and why it is that something actually happens when we come into agreement. All right, number one, I want to answer the question, how has Satan been defeated? A lot of times we talk about it in church, the devil's been defeated. What does that mean? What are the practical implications of that? For example, if the devil's been defeated, pastor, why is there so much evil still in the world? If the devil's been defeated at the cross, why is there so much pain and deprivation and hurt? and Why is there so much evil? I'm gonna answer number one, how has Satan been defeated and why is there things still broken in our world? Number one, let me say just a couple things. The enemy has been defeated at the cross. We're gonna talk about that in a moment, but why is there still pain in the world? Number one, because people still have fallen natures. In other words, people... Apart from Christ, the Bible says they have a fallen, broken, Adamic, evil nature. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Even though everyone's made in the image of God, their nature, apart from being influenced by God and being born again, the Bible actually says people that are not saved are under the sway of the wicked one. That's what the Bible says. So, people do evil things. And Christians, when you're born again, even though you've been delivered from the power of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, we still have a flesh and we can still make wrong choices. What power does the enemy have now? The power of deception. That's why Christians need to live in the truth. So, number one, if Satan's been defeated, why is there still things happening in the world? People have fallen natures. And evil still is pervasive because people still do evil things. A lot of times we're giving credit to the devil, where the reality is much of that is coming out of broken human nature. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, here's what he says having disarmed, everyone say disarmed. The cross didn't annihilate the devil. There's still a real spiritual being called Satan, and there's dominion, there's minions, there's principalities and powers and spirits of wicked places about so so the cross didn't make the devil extinct but it disarmed him in the life of believers who knew who the, who knew who they are in christ this is important having disarmed everybody say disarmed you still have an enemy but if you know who you are in christ he has no authority over you he's disarmed having disarmed principalities and powers, he, that's Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What is it? Let me explain what it is. It is the cross and the resurrection. All right, the image is taken from a Roman general here. The Roman general, this is Roman times, right? So The Romans would come into a city, and as they would go out on a conquest, they would come back. And very similar to parades today, we pray different things like, you know, people, everybody comes. What's a parade? Everybody would come, and they would come to see what did the Roman generals get? Who did they defeat? Where is the enemy behind them in the parade? So the general, the Roman generals literally would often bring the captives they would offer me the spoils the money loot they would bring people that would be literally caged and they would bring them behind them and everybody would be shouting in the streets watch this hail to caesar why because the enemy is being dragged as a public display before the people that is the image we believe the bible is inspired by the holy spirit The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to utilize this image because they understood exactly what it is. When Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, guess what? Jesus literally, cosmically speaking, and literally speaking, dragged the enemy behind him saying, I have defeated hell, death, and the grave, and no more, no more can he torment my kids. Literally behind him. Now, I know it immediately with some of you guys are saying, yeah, well, Pastor, you don't understand. You weren't, you weren't with me last night. Because I was tormented by the devil. Yeah, you were tormented because we're tormented to the degree that we, we lack knowledge of who we are in Christ. But you don't have to take that. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says this, for this purpose. I'd I say, for this purpose. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy. He might destroy the works of the enemy. What does that mean? What is, he wants to destroy. He wants. He has disarmed the enemy. He has defanged the enemy. Watch this. And the enemy only has power over those that lack understanding from the Bible of who they are or who they're not. They don't know who they are in Christ. You've been authorized As an agent of the kingdom of God, you've been given delegated authority. There's there's a big difference between, I want everybody to hear me, every location. There's a difference between power and authority. I appreciate all of our great men and women that are uh, law enforcement, that serve all of our locations. How many are grateful for all of them on the weekends? We're so grateful. We love every one of you. We're grateful. I got to tell you, sometimes when I'm, I'm pulling out uh, of the Little Creek campus and I'm seeing the road and I'm thinking, man, those law enforcement folks, they're standing in the middle of the road. I mean, they're brave. I mean, because I, mean, I saw how some of y'all drive. But anyways, I'm just being honest. You're Christians in here, but things happen. But anyway, so, so I'm, I'm kind of playing. And so And so they're standing right in the middle of the road. Okay, they don't have a greater power than that car coming right towards it. They don't. What they do have is jurisdictional what? Authority. Based upon the parish or the county, wherever our, we have campuses all over, they, whether it's a city authority, whether it's the parish, whether it's state, they, they have authority. So it's it's what's in the badge that speaks to the motorist, and it's it's this badge that, that they have authority to tell. Because if I went out there in the middle of the road and just pointed at somebody just like this, they'd be like, "He's crazy! What's going on?" You know. I mean, I could get her, but there's an. Authority. Everybody say authority. So when that car points, when that that police, when that, that man or woman that, that has a police uniform, they point to the car, it's not in their authority, it's in the authority of what this badge re- represents. When the devil comes and lies to you, you don't have greater power over the devil. You have the authority of Jesus Christ. Devil, take your hands off my life. Take your hands off my mind. Take your hands off my children. Take your hands off my business. In the name of Jesus. So, could it be that the enemy at times looks like he's winning because the church is not praying? When the church didn't pray, James was killed. When the church did pray, Peter was released. Number one, how has Satan been defeated? He was defeated at the cross and the resurrection. And those that know who they are in Christ can declare to the enemy in the authority of Christ, take your hands off. Number two, if Satan is defeated, then why should we pray? Why do we pray? If the enemy's already defeated, Pastor, I mean, we just... Then, what's the purpose of prayer? God invites us into a partnership. Everybody say partnership. God invites us into a partnership where we partner with Him. Remember communion, consecration, confrontation. God invites us into a partnership to confront the enemy. Now, this is important. We're not defeating the enemy, we're enforcing the defeat. Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Jesus is talking two things. Number one, he's, there's initially it's speaking about at the cross the enemy is bound by Christ, by the work of Christ on the cross. Well then the secondary understanding is that we as believers, we don't defeat the enemy but we enforce the victory of Calvary through our prayers. Enforce. We're enforcers. We don't defeat, we enforce the victory. We declared to the enemy, so how do we bind? We don't bind by destroying the enemy, we bind the enemy by declaring God's word, and that enforces what happened to him at the cross. Devil, take your hands off. The Bible says that you were defeated, the Bible says that Jesus. Defeated you, the Bible. So, in other words, what what is our role in prayer? We're enforcers. What are we enforcing? We're enforcing the victory of the cross. I'm not defeating the devil. We don't defeat the devil, we enforce the victory of the cross. Man, we've got to see this. We have delegated authority, we have jurisdictional authority under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He defeated the devil was buried, rose again, he ascended to the Father, sat down at the right hand of God, and he's given delegated authority to his church. And when the church comes together and prays, people are released from prison. Bondages are broken. Things happen. Now, I want to answer a question. We'll pass time out. I thought people are held captive by the enemy before they come to Christ. Yes, they are. And that I thought it was just the word of God that goes into their heart and they're delivered. Absolutely. If we can get the word of God through the preaching of the word, sharing of the gospel, people receive Christ. They're born again. Their eyes are open. They go from darkness to light 100%. But what does prayer do? Prayer doesn't save people. Prayer softens people. It softens the heart. So in other words, your prayers go before the preaching of the word. You're praying for a loved one. You're believing God for them to be saved. What are your prayers doing? Your prayers don't save them. Your prayers soften their heart. The enemy's blinded their mind, and your prayers are pushing back the enemy's power over that person so the word can get in there and they can be born again. You have to see this. All right, let me give you one text to show you the power of prayer. Remember, prayer doesn't save. Prayer softens softens the heart. Remember, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the enemy has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Think about that proposition. The, the devil has blinded the mind of the unbelievers. What does that mean? It means spiritually, they have an, somebody that doesn't know Christ spiritually has an inability to deduce correctly. Two plus two it's supposed to equal four. But spiritually speaking, when someone's not saved, two plus two equals five. What does that mean? The cross, the blood, it doesn't make sense. But when their mind is open and their heart is open through prayer, the gospel word can get in there. You have to see this. Can y'all handle this? Is this too much for y'all? Is this, is this okay? I know some of y'all are going, this is a lot. This is life or death. I thank God my parents prayed for me. They didn't save me. Their prayers didn't save me. Their prayers softened me so that I'd be open to the word of God. How many of all grateful for praying, praying parents? Come on. <laughs> Praise God. Grateful for praying parents. All right, here it is. Watch this. Here's my text. I don't give a thought without a text to back it up. Here it is. Mark chapter 3, and then I've got one more point and we're done. Mark chapter 9. Remember, prayer doesn't save. Prayer softens. Jesus saves. Prayer softens. Immediately, the father of the child, Mark 9, 24, the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people were, came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed greatly, and came out of him, and he became as dead man, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him and said, Jesus, why could we not cast out? In other words, why didn't we have what? We, we tried, We spoke the word, but it didn't what what happened? And he said, this kind can come out by nothing but by what? Everybody say it? Prayer and what say it? That means there's moments. When we pray, what prayer doesn't save? Prayer softens. Prayer, prayer. It's like it oils the 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 like the spokes where it, it gets things. It gets things. The heart gets open for the word to penetrate. When you're praying for your son, your daughter, you're praying for a loved one. What are your prayers doing? Your prayer, I believe that it enters into the spiritual realm, and it temporarily suspends the enemy's lies. We're, we're, and then we're praying for something, someone, to. there's a scenario where they're set up where the word can get into their heart. Because the, the, they've got to believe the word to get born again. So the prayer doesn't get somebody born again. The prayer, it, there's a power encounter where there's a moment somebody comes, somebody shares, and it's like they come to their senses. But the word still has to get in their heart. Okay, let me give you this last thing, so let me put it all together. What have I said so far? What I've said so far is God has called us, I want every location to hear me, God has called us into a partnership with him. He's invited us to confront things in prayer, to see things changed. Number one, how was the enemy defeated at the cross? He wasn't annihilated, but he was disarmed. Number two, when we know who we are in Christ, we have authority over Christ, we can pray in faith. Number three, how does the prayer of agreement then come together? Here it is. Don't miss this. I'm bringing it all down. This is why husbands and wives pray together. This is why church, corporate prayer is so important. This is why small groups, this is why prayer, prayer. If two or more, everybody say two or more. You got to see it. I'm putting it all together right here. Faith's going to come in your heart right here. If two or more, two or more. So how does the prayer of agreement work? My last point, I'm done. Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's why being in church is so important. There's a lot more than two or three gathered together. Yes, we personally worship Jesus as an individual, but there's something of a release of power in corporate contexts. I'm there. I'm there in their midst. So, let me give you these two last points. I'm going to tell you a story. It's going to blow you out of the water. And I mean that. A true story that just happened six weeks ago. Two things about this. Number one, everyone say agree. When we come into agreement, when earth comes into agreement, what do I mean by earth? When two human beings come into agreement, there's power. <clears throat> there's just power in. In a, in a just synergy, the synergy, synergistically, there's power. Just even in the natural realm, leave God out of it. When there's agreement, there's power. But when two people come together in the name of Jesus, according to the word, he's there. That's supernatural power. But watch this. When a husband and wife come, I, I, I want to keep using that because it's, it's a, an important dynamic, but it's much more than just that. If you come together and agree, everyone say agree. The word agreement is symphoneo. But doesn't that sound familiar? Symphoneo. What is symphonio? That's where we get the word what? Symphony. When you go hear a symphony and there's a, there's a coming together, symphony, there's a harmony. When, when two human beings agree together on the word of God, oh, wait a minute now. Now we've agreed with heaven. So when earth, two human beings, agree with the word, it's not just, you see, you can in a secular sense agree and there's power, but when two human beings agree with the Bible, that comes from heaven, God's word. Now, earth is agreeing with heaven, and when earth agrees with heaven, heaven comes down. And when, how do I know heaven comes down? Jesus told his disciples to pray heaven down. What do I mean by that? Let your kingdom, what, say it? Come, let your will be done. What? What? On earth, on earth. In the life of your son, in the life of your daughter, in the life of your family. What do we pray? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Where? On earth. Why? Everything's good in heaven. Things are broken on earth. We're trying to get heaven on earth. Yes, there's a real place. Yes, we'll spend eternity in heaven. Yes, we'll go and worship. But, but Jesus told us this out. Pray in agreement on earth. When two people agree on earth with the word of God, heaven hears. Heaven comes into alignment. We come into alignment in heaven. And heaven comes to the earth. That's what happens. All right, here it is. When the church didn't pray, James was killed. When the church prayed, Peter was released. Angelic power came. Six weeks ago, there's a man in our church, Lee Costello. and He's probably in this service. I want to use his name, too, because it's so amazing. I want to give credibility. He teaches in our college. He's finishing his Ph.D. at the Baptist Seminary. I'm telling you, this is all legit. He and his wife are out talking about what happens if two or more come together and pray. They were out celebrating, it's my understanding, I think it's uh, Belinda's birthday, his wife. And every night they come together and they pray. And so they came together and they prayed <clears throat> that night, later that night. And then right after that, they felt compelled, an urgency to pray for their daughter who goes to LSU. She was driving back to LSU praying. And they said, Lord, we just release... God, we just thank you that your protection, we thank you that the angel of the Lord surrounds her and protects her. Literally, when they finished that prayer, literally, his watch goes off. I think it's the 360 thing. And it immediately alerted them that she'd been in a wreck. They get in their car. They go go to the scene of the wreck between here and Baton Rouge. There's helicopters there. Ambulance, trucks everywhere. If I showed you, I hesitate. I almost showed, I almost wanted to show you the picture of the car. You wouldn't recognize it, the whole thing. She was stopped in traffic, and a car, literally, woo, high speed, hit her so hard, it knocked her, but it blew her out of the car, like a considerable distance, and she landed on her bottom in the grass, bruised, some cuts, but not what you think. I mean, she was basically okay. Here's what's amazing at the, at, on her thighs, they were bruised up, but there's two handprints on her thighs that literally, the, like the angel of the Lord, picked her up and placed her in the grass. Don't tell me that God's angels don't do his business in the earth. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me. Now, listen, I want to clarify something. We don't pray to angels. We pray to Jesus. But when we pray to Jesus, his angels get to work. How many are grateful for the power of God? Come on. Are you all with me? All right, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Man, I just sense the Holy Spirit right now. If you do not know Christ, you're not sure about your relationship with God, I'm going to pray for you. God loves you. He's not mad at you. Jesus cares for you. And wherever you are, whatever location you're at, those on TV, online, wherever around the world, jails and prisons, this word is for you. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He doesn't want you living tormented. He wants you forgiven and equipped. If you do not know Christ, I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. I tell you, Ken, his name is Jesus. And in just a moment, the count of i I'm going to ask for a show of hands. If you say, Pastor, pray for me, I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you died today that you're ready to stand before God? the count of three, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Is that you? One, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can get God bless you. God bless every single one of you. Wow. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you guys. It's amazing. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God loves you, my friend. God bless you way up top right there. God bless you and you and you. Yeah. Church, let's pray together. Can we do that? Come on. Let's pray with those that are trusting Christ, all of us. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me through blood. Give me a new heart. A new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people.
1: Man, what a powerful message. And hey, I wanna talk to those of you out there who might be making the decision for the very first time to give your life to Jesus. Man, we are celebrating with you. We are so excited that you've made that decision today. And I wanna ask you to do me a favor. Take just a moment and click the link on the screen or in the chat room right now and fill out our short decision form. Let us know that you've made that choice today. What it'll do is first, it'll let us know. It'll let us know that you have started a brand new life with Jesus so that we can celebrate that because that is amazing. But it will also give us the opportunity as your church family to come alongside you and resource you as you start your brand new life with Christ. Yes, and what's truly amazing is the fact that whether you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time today, or you're rededicating your life to Him, this is the beginning of something new. That means that all shame and all guilt is thrown aside. It is no longer what affects you. What truly affects you is the love of Jesus, and that is what you are receiving today. And so, again, we just want to congratulate you. This is the best decision you will ever make. Come on, that is so true, Angel. And hey, as you make that decision, maybe you're filling that form out right now, I wanna encourage you with something. If you would just commit right now to continuing to show up, to continuing to attend church online, maybe join a small group, stay connected to spiritual family. Just like God might have encountered you through today's service, he will continue to meet with you as you just commit to the simple act of showing up. And man, as you get connected to spiritual family, we believe that you will find freedom and healing and restoration. So we are just so excited for this decision you made today. Absolutely, and hey, we just wanna say thank you for joining us today for service. And we wanna invite you to join us again next week as we wrap up this series. Hey, we'll see you next week, same time. Same place, we love you guys, have a great week.